Hello and welcome to Let Me Introduce You, the food business podcast where I introduce you to the most amazing producers, entrepreneurs and consultants that work with me to build stronger, healthier, better versions of food businesses. I've been building teams to work with food businesses for 25 years and now we're taking you behind the scenes in my business to meet some of them. So, let me introduce you to Margaret Briffa, the founder of Briffa and leading intellectual property solicitor, to talk with me about what led her into IP and other careers that she may have been tempted to pursue, to give you a glimpse of her style and creativity and what we think sets her apart and makes her our first choice IP law firm. Margaret talks about the food she loves and shares with us, her hit list of things she thinks every growing business should do. I started by asking her when she'd been growing up, what kind of career did she think she would have? The first thing I wanted to do when I was growing up was to be a brownie. But when I announced that, people said, oh, no, no, that's not a job. That's just something you do when you're a little bit older. I thought, OK. The next job I thought would be really brilliant would be a bus conductress. I really fancied going about um, on buses because we had a local chap who was very cheering and called out names of the stops and sung songs. And I, he really lightened up people's day because you're only going to school. And I thought, wouldn't this be a fabulous, fabulous job? That's a brilliant one. Those were my first two thoughts. And then I didn't have any... Well, I didn't have any thoughts then for a really long um, time. Um, I was quite... Um, uh, naughty at school. Naughty. I was no, I wasn't naughty. I got into a lot of trouble for various things. And the teachers used to say um, I could do anything I wanted as long as I sort of behaved myself and knuckled down, which of course isn't true. You know, I couldn't be, you know, prime minister or this, that, and the other, because you know I wasn't, you know, the right sort of person. So that that wasn't true. In terms of then deciding what to do, um, I was very sort of biased towards maths and science, and those are the sort of A-levels I did. And, yeah, so, look, you know, coming towards the end of the first year, you then sort of apply um, to, you know, university, and people were trying to push me um, to do physics because they said, oh, you're really natural at physics. So I went to all these open days, and I just thought, this just isn't me. Um, and I met one of the um, professors. Yes. Um, and he said, you know, they were trying to encourage girls into it. It was like an open day at some university. And I said, I just, I just don't think I can take it. I mean, I think there's just got to be more to life than carbon. And he sort of went, no, there isn't. <laughs> and I thought, no, no, I can't, I can't have a whole life with these people. Um, and anyway, I just was interested in current affairs. I'm very interested in people. Um, I'm interested in rules and regulations, even at school, but only to the extent <laughs> that they didn't apply to me or I could get round them somehow. Um, so I thought maybe law would be the thing. So I said, oh, I think I might, you know, I might do law. And it was like, oh, no, a terrible subject, really boring, really boring. Uh, really dry, really dry, you'll hate it. You're not, you're not the right person. Um, and all of that just encourages you. <laughs> encourages you to um, do it. So that's how I got into... Um, doing a law degree. Brilliant. That's wonderful. Have you ever had a really good employer um, or somebody that you worked with, maybe within a practice, that Mm. made you think, this is how I want to do things? Or has the opposite influenced you that you've seen people that this is definitely not what I want to do? And and that Mm. has shaped how you've run your business. 
Yeah, so it's a bit of both um, because um, lawyers come in all shapes and sizes. So when I was, um, you know, doing the degree and my professional exams, I did. I saw myself um, very much, you know, dealing with um, people. So when I was doing my training, uh, my job was in. Um, I was helping out with people with uh, injunctions because they were being beaten up. I was doing prison visits. I was doing evictions of gypsies, um, of land and all the rest of it. And it was all very exciting, but very, very repetitive. Um, right. So I was just dealing with the same issues over and over um, again. Um, and it was, it was good because I liked the sort of human element, but I didn't like the sort of um, repetition. It wasn't really um, that sort of, not intellectual, because that sounds a bit sort of high, but it wasn't really that challenging. So I was, um, I've done, as I said, I've done sort of science at school and I'd also studied intellectual property at university and I thought I could marry that sort of interest together yeah. and do something a bit more specialist. So that's how I got into the field of intellectual property. And I've travelled through many jobs, so yes. from a small sort of general practice I then went um, to a very sort of big firm um, in London where I was doing just patent work and they took me on just to do the expert evidence, not the factual, um, because many um, lawyers come from a very arts background and if they see something that's even got one scientific word in it, they all <laughs> go to jelly, which, and that didn't bother me. And also yeah. what I realised was when you're dealing with something like patents, you're dealing with a scientist who's at the very, very edge of their speciality and pushing the boundaries yes. so it's no embarrassment to say I don't know what you're talking about you're going to have to take this a little bit more slowly and break it mm -hmm. down and that's exactly what you need to do to take a good um, statement so um, that's how I got into the specialty yes and I really enjoyed um, the work and I moved on to do different types of jobs within intellectual property but it was a very sort of big, big business game at that time. Yes. In that only the clients and the people who could access it were really big business. So I was sitting there, you know, um, sending out letters, you know, threatening lots of little businesses. Because when you're in a big firm, your job is to keep a big force field round yourself. Yep. Um, and frighten people. And even if you don't have a particularly good argument, um, most people will just sort of pack it in because they don't want to argue. They go and see a general practitioner who doesn't really know what to say, or they go to a patent attorney who says, oh, this is terrible litigation, get out. And I thought, gosh, you know, all these people out there really need sort of help, you know, and help in the same way I used to give to those girls who used to come in because they were sort of being beaten up or whatever. They need sort of someone who can just say, no, 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 we can sort this out and sort of get it done. Um, and that's what gave me the impetus, if you like, to set up my own thing. Brilliant. That's good. And we're very grateful that you did. I know <laughs> I met you, I was working out the other day in 2005 first, when somebody brought me to meet you because I had a chocolate brownie business and needed to protect <laughs> that. So I'm, I'm very, very glad that you went down 
that route. Your practice is situated inside the design centre in London, which is quite different mm. from from where you might expect to find an IP firm, maybe, or or certainly where you might expect to find lawyers, I think. Mm. And, and that's yeah. because, you know, that is such an interest of yours. And I know, too, that you love food and that you're very interested in that. So one of my next questions was going to be, what have you eaten recently that's excited you or what are you enjoying? Gosh, I'm trying to think. That's really... Because I love all different types of food. Yeah. Um, I was actually thinking recently that my, my best type of food is, you know, probably Korean, then Thai. I was doing a sort of a list going down. Um, the reason I love food is that the food at home was absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> and it was, you know, because obviously I grew up in the 70s as well, it was hard to access good food. Um, and so I've sort of like maybe like you lived through a bit of a food revolution yes, in terms <laughs> in terms of what's available um, and um, and certainly living in London, how easily yeah. you can access all those different. Yes, that's right. Because when you used food. to go out of um, London, you used to notice that you know you didn't have the variety available. Um, I, there's just very very few things I don't like. So to Good. say, what have you eaten recently that excites you? <laughs> yeah, it's very it's, it's very difficult. difficult. I don't think I've had a really bad meal since about 1982 or something. Well done. <laughs> That's that's a real. That's an accolade. Yeah, and also I'm I'm not a terribly good cook or anything uh, myself, um, but I have learnt over the years about you know you know how to do things through sort of food groups, and I wish there was more sort of education in that because people give you a cookbook, it's got you know really complicated recipes and methods and ingredients you've never heard of, but why don't they just say, look, if you want to cook a Thai meal? These are the five important things. And then you can do it with anything, you know, potatoes, prawns. Why don't they teach people to cook in that way? I think it would be be really useful just to impart the knowledge rather than, you know, get this pot, do this. Yeah, and you have to keep looking in the book. Because I'm not terribly good at looking Mm. in the book or following instructions. Mm. (laughs) I I mean, I, I love cookbooks and I love to get a book and follow it and then work out what I might do differently the next time. Oh, but, really? Well, that's but, level six, I think, Jane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but it's also, I, I can appreciate, you know, that a lot of people can't. And so it's great when we have clients who sometimes set us a challenge, like we want you to encourage people to use this one new thing, but everything mm. else that you use in the recipe must be stuff that they'll definitely have in their cupboards because mm. otherwise you'll scare them. And, mm. and I love those kind of recipes and yeah and, and there is an art to writing a simple recipe you know I think people think oh it's too simple but actually no. to get that information across to give and I think that's why a lot of people have loved Jamie Oliver and people like him because he mm. says squeeze the lemon he doesn't say you can only have one teaspoonful otherwise the whole thing's just gonna go wrong Mm. he says just squeeze it in and I think Mm. he gave people the courage to just take a few things and try and Mm. do something yeah yeah more you sound like you're a very good cook Jane um (laughs) I'm I'm not a bad cook um I wouldn't want to run a restaurant or a catering business or any of those kind of things but I loved food which is definitely part of what made me follow the career that I followed but Mm. 
similarly, probably at a similar time at school, careers advice wasn't very good. And I was at a very academic school where mm. it scared them no end that I wanted to do something food related, which was slightly embarrassing and maybe for stupid people. And they would have been much happier if I had just done pure science and then mm. sorted something foodie out in the end. But but I knew that it was food that I wanted, unfortunately, because mm. I was 10 when I made that stand. I've yeah. not changed my mind, which is which is just lucky. But I think I think still there is a bit of a stigma with people coming into the industry. I think if you're intelligent, nobody's ever mm. going to say to you, have you ever thought about a career in the food industry? You mm. know, and there are so many jobs in it, yeah. from tech jobs to um technical to you know Mm. to legal to all sorts of there's Mm. so much involved in it that there are some great opportunities but I don't think as an industry we sell it well and yeah careers advice is um very limited isn't it and I don't know but in in my day we did just one term of um domestic science yes and that was the only food related thing and you know one term of sewing you know yes. all this it's not really enough you know if you think about how much time you put into trying to learn french trying yes. to learn chemistry you know trying. And, and, <laughs> and what you want is some good basics like how yeah. to cook pasta how mm. to how to make soup you know mm. again like you say so you can then add to that oh i could yeah. put a bit of this in it then or that kind of thing but a lot of people now have grown up in households where two or three generations of them have had no no yeah. no guidance you know which is yeah. which is which is very different culturally to how mm. other countries are certainly mm. is there one thing that you wish that you had maybe learned about yourself sooner you know so is there something that you think now i know that i love that or don't love that i wish i had clicked yeah that I about think... myself sooner yeah, um, I'm very impatient um, and I want everything done like super fast and I just can't understand and it's only much more recently that I thought actually, you know, you've got to, you know, help people to, um, in their own time, get things. I wish I'd sort of um, thought that um, earlier because, you know, it would have been like nicer for a lot of people if I'd been sort of more relaxed or helped them, you know, get to a point or some accommodation with me than sort of always wanting everything resolved very quickly. As a lawyer, it's partly because as a lawyer, sometimes you've got to hold back. So sometimes the right thing in litigation is to not answer um ignore be slow da, da, da. i find all that incredibly difficult and it's yes. held me back <laughs> yeah yeah because you would rather get it off your I'm desk going, I want and just, get it i need to get this and... finished but sometimes the right thing is not to and wait uh and all the rest of it um so um i think yeah a bit more pace would have been good <laughs> and i know that when you meet food businesses it's because somebody has tried to infringe their copyright in some way or copy what they regard as a trade secret or is doing something which um, is passing off their brand. And um, I know, you know, that the best time to to start to look at what you protect in your business is right at the beginning 
but often you don't see people until their businesses either encounter a problem or until they're a few years down the the line and somebody else tells them that they should tighten things up. What would you say are the fundamental things that food businesses should think about right at the beginning or should get in place as quickly as they possibly can? So, yeah, that's a really good question. And you're quite right, Jane, that um, it's a recurrent um, problem um, and not ideal that we tend to see people um, down the line when a problem has kicked off. Um, If we are lucky enough to see someone um, at an early stage, um, it's very beneficial because ideally what we want to do is look at the brand um, that they're developing um, and decide what elements of it um, can be uh, protected. And obviously um, we're looking for something that's distinctive, um, that um, they're going to be able to carve out um, exclusive rights in because that's going to be the strongest types um, of brand available and that will give the business the most value. Once we've sort of looked at the sort of protectable elements, um, we can advise on the best form in which to file. And at this stage, a business doesn't tend to have um, very much in the way of resources. So we tend to recommend um, a first filing, say, in the UK, just to put that flag in the sand and give some sort of security um, in terms of the chosen brand. And all of that is very helpful and a solid foundation on which to move forward. Um, So if we haven't done that sort of groundwork and down the line um, we're visited by someone who's facing a challenge to what we're um, doing I think our advice is you have to look very very carefully at what's being said and there are some claims that are totally spurious um, that are just made by bigger business whose aim is just to carve out um, something that they don't really have entitlement to so we beware of bullies we'd say but it's not always um, bullies there are sort of genuine claims made by businesses with genuine concerns and I think you have to take a very long hard look because you can fight things and sometimes it's worth doing that but sometimes it's not worth the fight Um, it is better to consider maybe a change. I mean, it can be painful. I mean, it can depend also the stage you're at with um, the business. If you're at a fairly early stage, um, and claims are often made at a fairly early stage, it can be better to rethink because the alternative either is to fight and lose or come to some compromise with that business which restricts your future use of the brand so it may stop you moving into other areas so you've got a food brand but you're thinking also um, of um, running a cafe or restaurant um, you don't want to be limited if it, by a restaurant um, fr- from doing things it devalues the brand and makes uh, the the ultimate sort of um, return you can get on your brand less because it's limited. So it really depends on the facts. 
Um, but as I say, a long, hard look and an honest look and make the right decision at that point if challenged. Look, looking back at, at this last year that we've had, which has been incredibly difficult because it's been... Mm. But just because it's been changing yeah. so much too and because for once we haven't really been sure looking ahead what looking ahead would look like. Um, I think most of us in March thought mm. that everything would have returned to normal by the end of April and then it just kind of rolled on a yeah, bit exactly. and rolled on a bit. Yeah. Um, how has that changed mm. what you've done as a business this year? How has it affected you? Yeah, so um, initially in February when we were all told to go home, we were just putting in a sort of a cloud-based system, which was just incredibly lucky for all our case management and everything. So we've been able to function. Um, amazingly, we've been pretty, we've been busy, we've been really busy. Um, we've had a busier sort of, you know, summer, autumn than we had um, last year because our clients, and we've got a lot of food, you see food, obviously, great area to be in so clients like that have done tremendously well um on the other hand if you're a client selling um golf clubs not so well um but obviously there's not just the the food businesses but it's been a time where people have reflected and come up with new or decided things. to move so forward for us, with things yeah. That, or, yeah. Or, or yes or adapt their business but to adapt their business they're checking with you they might need something else so all in all that's been very good right. what hasn't what's and obviously some people like working from home mm -hmm. uh, and all the rest of it and that's good but I do feel um, that some of the juniors do miss out because there's not that collegiate every day in the office mm. um, bouncing ideas off people um, and I'm speeding through my work like mm -hmm. nobody's business because in a normal day I'm like interrupted maybe every two or yes. three minutes. Yeah, uh, with, with somebody a asking something or yeah. a call. But now, yeah, exactly. But even even um, client calls, no one just rings no. you anymore. It's all like, can I fix up this? Can I fix up that? So everything is scheduled, and so from a time management point of view, fantastic. But I've I think particularly the juniors are missing, and they won't progress as fast because when you're in the office, even if you're not asking questions, you're listening. You're hearing. To what's that's going, going on, on around you're hearing stuff you just happen to be there so you're brought into a meeting and all of that isn't really yeah. happening and, there, and there's no no obvious way perhaps to to find a way to 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 do that as much are you having team meetings and things are you all yeah, sharing yeah. stuff so, that um, way oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, but yes, it, we are. And um, all the juniors um, get, a, you know, a daily, you know, daily check in and all, all the rest of it. So, yes, that there is that. But it's just not the same as being in the office um, and being able to, you know, share. More. No, I... it's it's more it's more pl it's more yeah. planned and all the rest of it. So people are not at their most creative. Mm. Basically. I, I think creative businesses particularly seem to have mm. missed that kind of collaborative spirit and space yeah. and things. And I know talking to other people that we work with that mm. those kind of people have found it harder. I think some people have been surprised by how little they've missed their commute that they've never really given any thought to before and things like mm. that too. You know, I think it I think it's been mm. more intense because you tend to go from one call to the next one to the next one. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think it is uh more yeah, more it's intense. Been, it's it's hard work, you know. 
um, on the Zoom, yeah. you know. Even now we've sort of got yes. the hang of it and we don't spend the first sort of, you know, half hour trying to make no. it work. It's still, you know, it's still all rather, you know, um, it, it it is tiring. It's a performance. It's, it's less natural than just yeah. being in Th- the than room. Than being in the room with other people. Mm. Um, if, if you could <laughs> sum yourself up in three words and they don't need to connect with each other, just what are the three things that you think make make who you are um i'm very positive um um but honest that's that two, two positive one? but honest yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um uh adventurous I, th- I think those all sum you up very <laughs> accurately from what we see of you as well so that's great oh thank you jay <laughs> thank you for listening to let me introduce you the food business podcast if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe in apple Podcasts or wherever you pick up your podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect to us on social media and if you found it helpful we'd love you to tell other food businesses about this too see you next time